From the highways and the byways of sleepy Somerset in England, welcome to Spike's Podcast, where we reflect on the joy of running amidst the joy of life. Good morning. It is Saturday, the 4th of June, 2016, and just setting out on a morning run from home. So, um, I'm going to keep the pace uh, hopefully well contained so that uh, I don't get too puffy and puffy for you and uh, it's a reasonable recording to listen to. Uh, so I just got to look out for traffic here for a moment, try to cross the road. Uh, you know, different rules around the world, isn't there, about crossing the road when you have to wait for traffic light controlling. Um, tends to be quite relaxed in the UK, but clearly, got to keep yourself safe. And just to rise up the hill here and past the large Asda supermarket, which. Uh, it's very close to our house and so we have this big store as effectively our corner shop or, or convenience store um, does tend to make us a little bit lazy with our shopping in that if we forget something, just a short walk to go and pick it up again. Somebody there ignoring zebra crossings. Uh, have to wait for them. Okay, so <clears throat> what's been happening? Well, life has continued in much the same vein. Um, Gina and I are both well um, and you know just people are kind and solicitous about our well-being perhaps here I could just uh, play a short clip from from Tim Cleary um, just a kind of example of how how kind people are, really. Uh, this is a, well, let's just let Tim speak for himself. Hey, Peter, this is Tim Cleary. It was great hearing the latest podcast and hearing that Gina is doing well. Yeah, certainly thought about you all over the last several months uh, in the interlude between podcasts, but didn't want to intrude. I know you know, all of us are busy and you would publish and put out a podcast when it was, you know, time to get one out and as it fit into your schedule. So glad to hear you back and hopefully you'll have more coming up this summer. Cheers, Tim. Okay. Thanks, Tim, for your kind thoughts. Thoughts. I really appreciate just the effort of sending that that clip to me. 
Um, I suppose the, the reason I thought I'd bring the recorder out today is that uh, we awoke this morning to the news of the death of Muhammad Ali. Um, and I was just, you know, then I, I opened up the news feed that I use at breakfast this morning and uh, there were tributes aplenty <clears throat> of course and also because you know this is a, uh, a broadsheet news feed so it tends to have a breadth of opinion um, there were those reporting on well, perhaps the uh, so I say the negative aspects of Ali's character um, so it just got me to thinking about about him, um, particular memories of my life from that he generates, generated, um, and and the nature of human character, if you will. Um, so I was, you know. Uh, a youngster in the Ali era. I remember him as Cassius Clay. Um, I was 10 years old when he defeated Sonny Liston. And the reason he stirs more poignant memories for me is um, I recall you know, that my mother would wake me up at about three o'clock in the morning and we would go downstairs to our sitting room, uh, turn on a black and white television and watch Cassius Clay and then when he converted to Islam Muhammad Ali uh, we'd watch his fights my dad never a boxing fan really um, I don't know why my mum was such a fan as if she was a violent person um, at all but those were just special special times that you remember when you did something out of the ordinary and uh, my mum now yeah, she died in the end of the 1990s sadly she uh, she 
contracted pancreatic cancer and uh, when it was diagnosed there was precious little that could be done and um, yeah she she died eight weeks after diagnosis she was just 64 years old and still still a hole in my life um, still think about her often she was a huge influence on my life and uh, and who I am today really uh, anyway so then we think about the uh, the story of Muhammad Ali and uh, you know probably uh, one of the great self-publicists uh, you were never in any doubt with him about his own self-belief uh, and he took various stances and yeah his his life was in some areas controversial and I think that leads me to the to the thought that Gina and I have have discussed ourselves and and come to realize is that really almost no one is wholly good or wholly bad you know we are complex creatures um, we operate on some areas on quite base instincts and in others with great intellectual rigor sometimes we seek gratification sometimes we we go to extraordinary lengths to enjoy things for ourselves and equally go to those same lengths to ensure the, uh, the joy of others sometimes at our own cost um, and I think one of the problems with modern reporting and rapid news cycles and uh, you know chasing headline is that we want our characters in life to be one thing or the other we want to wholly demonize them or wholly sanctify them um, you know I think 
There are many, many examples of this, aren't there? Indeed, I would say almost every human being has this duality. Um, I imagine that some of you will have come across people who who seem utterly imbued with evil and uh, and some of us will think of examples of people who live lives of great dignity and and uh, altruism but you know when you study anybody's story they are complex um Ali certainly you know, he he did things in his life that he probably regretted subsequently um you know people Speak of Mother Teresa of Calcutta, Mumbai, but uh, you know she. And again, it depends on your sources. And uh, you know I'm fully aware of confirmation bias and all the rest of it. But uh, there are elements of her caring, which are at best questionable and sometimes seem so ridden in dogma as to be erring towards uh, brutalizing really and I don't seek to offend you know if you if you have a strong belief in in that individual or an individual. I don't. I'm not saying that. You know, you are wrong. I'm not saying I am right. What I'm saying is that. I think when one tries to get close to people and beyond the image maker's view, and uh, sometimes questions at least are raised um, and let me think of you know, the Dalai Lama who uh, you know, is it seems to me a great voice of wisdom and reason and humility and yet and I don't know I just have the sense that he would consider himself very flawed because that's part of his humility um, make no bones about it I am flawed in many ways um, I'm I kind of thinking about I said earlier the influence my mother had on me and that is still potent it still means 
I've always known what's right and what's wrong. We've had a strong sense of morality. It doesn't stop me doing things sometimes, which I subsequently think that wasn't good. Um, it didn't stop my mother occasionally airing. Uh, perhaps I can, in a way, liken this to uh, to motorcycling. You know, I've spent oh the past 16 years trying to develop my skills as a motorcyclist. Um, I now coach others to ostensibly a, a high level. Um, and most of the time I am pleased to think of my riding as exemplary. But it ain't always so. Sometimes I make an error of judgment. Sometimes um, an element of devilment creeps in to my my riding. And uh, you know that's that's the duality of nature of one's character. Anyway, I think you got the point. In summary, I was saddened to hear of Muhammad Ali's death. Um, he was an extraordinary boxer. He was, in many ways, an extraordinary human being. And uh, I always remember the moment when he lit the Olympic flame. Uh, was it Atlanta? Where he did that? And he was clearly unwell, but the, the stadium, and indeed a bunch of the world, just had a moment of rejoicing that we had been fortunate enough to be a bundled collection of atoms sharing this remarkable life force um, and doing so at a time where we could witness one of life's unique challenging and I'm going to say great individuals <coughs> so how about my running well as I said pace is low today very consciously because uh, if I push at all then my breathing will become ragged quite quickly so this is just an easy four miles 
at consistent pace. I think I'm probably didn't actually put my Garmin on, but from the way I feel, from what I know of my pace at the moment, I would say it's around 10 minute miling. And uh, my pace over the last few weeks has it's been interesting. I've um, just having to take my time here. A bit of traffic and a narrow road. Um, yeah, I've just been trying to to develop, redevelop my running, um, mixing the sessions up a bit, using my treadmill. Um, not a lot, but just just a few times to to make my work work rate different. And you know the thing with the treadmill, I've said it before, it is a disciplined training session, and that has been useful. Um, the culmination, or if you will, the payoff, came on Thursday of this week when uh, I did a just a three-mile run, the park run, uh, which I've previously shared with uh, with Krista and Carlos, and uh, it's it's not flat, but it's not very hilly. It's just a, a reasonable 5k on uh, footpaths and pavement. Um, anyway, Thursday, I just set out from home. I put the Garmin on and uh, didn't didn't want to set out fast. So comfortable first half mile, and just just worked away steadily. And uh, lo and behold, I'd gone under nine minute miling. And that may not sound great for those zippy beings among you. Um, but all this stuff is relative these days. And uh, I hadn't done a run sub nine miling for many weeks probably six months or more. I haven't looked back to check. And it felt comfortable. I wasn't eyes out on stalks. So it suggests that had I been racing, I could have pushed somewhat harder. Uh, and it felt good. So that I see is my payoff. Um, still tending to not run too much consecutive days. Still balancing exercise on my rowing machine with running. I find that's helpful. Um, I do find 
these days there's a, a harder or longer running session will um, leave me quite stiff I've just got a local bus come to hold in front of me so I decided actually best thing for me was to step off the road there actually he was very kind to stop and wait as there was traffic oncoming to him but uh, yeah at this pace <laughs> it ain't costing me anything just to pause briefly um so yeah the exercise is going tolerably well just um also done a, a week of blood pressure screening uh, had my blood pressure checked oh, a few weeks ago seemed a bit high so uh, went again and uh, to my local health centre a couple of weeks ago and uh, I think I'm getting a bit of white coat effect um, certainly seems to elevate when I'm in the surgery these days so anyway I bought a, a monitor home and uh, put that on over a week very variable um, quite quickly I found I was able to get it down sorry just having to zigzag for traffic and a couple of blind corners here just to kink in the road it's an old uh, old bridge over a railway line so the road does a left right kink um, tends to hide me from traffic and we're at that time of year where the vegetation at the side of the road is quite high so uh, not so much space or indeed vision so having to just be a little bit cautious so yeah um, fairly soon I was my blood pressure was down at one point I think I had uh, 112 over 73 so you know well inside um, good numbers and uh, about the middle of the week we uh, rode up to mid Wales uh, had a, a long weekend in a small hotel there that of course meant I was eating the hotel prepared food um, and to be honest drinking more alcohol than usual never I'm never one to get drunk but you know whereas at home it's a glass of wine each night there it was uh, a couple of beers you know big beers each night possibly a, a wine as well and three course dinner and breakfast didn't have a full breakfast but 
yeah, different to what I eat at home, that's for sure. And uh, I don't know if it was an increased salt intake, but my uh, blood pressure was definitely higher and consistently higher at the end of the week. So I was more often seeing kind of 136 over 83, say. That'd be a more typical figure. So it's still not desperately out of whack, but I prefer the sub 120 over sub 80. That's the sort of figure that I'm aiming to work for. So uh, <coughs> I've submitted my figures. Haven't heard anything from the surgery about that. But uh, I will, I have now purchased my own blood pressure monitor. Um, and I'll just keep a regular eye on things. I don't take any medication at present. Um, I would prefer not to, but you know, these drugs are there. Um, if necessary, I will follow a medication regime. Uh, interesting, isn't it? That you know, I'm now really getting past my my design life. Uh, I'm 62. That's one of my working, old school working life now over. You know, when I was growing up, um, most people I came from, you know, a working class background. Most of the men I knew had uh, heavy labour jobs. Um, and through my childhood, we saw many more women take up employment as well. And uh, the men, you know, they, many of them died before retirement. Those who retired might have had, you know, between two and five years of retirement and then you're quite likely to see their life sadly ended and now uh, 60 is still pretty middle-aged well <laughs> that's me speaking because I'm 62 uh, but I do think you know that Middle age has extended. It's definitely got later. So it's probably now 45 to 65, would you say? Um, and generally, of course, we are in the first world living significantly longer now. <coughs> um, it's always interesting when people talk about uh, 
living a simpler life. And you know, I know what that means. I know about the unclustering aspect of that and not trying to do three things at once and all the rest of it. But often there's a kind of harking back to uh, simpler foodstuffs and you know, less less stimulus really I suppose um, but we readily forget how much shorter our lifespan was in those times and I guess the the answer if there is such a thing as an answer is that we want a simpler way of living alongside the benefit and comfort that we gain from all the medical and sociological advances we've experienced in our lifetime. So, uh, typically human, never quite satisfied. Yeah, I, as I say those words, I think, well, surely I'm satisfied. I have this great life, a truly great life. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier the influence my my mother had on my life, and I think now I really have to think about and reflect on the huge influence and benefit I've experienced with, with Gina in my life. Um, Gina is very thoughtful and I don't just mean thoughtful in a caring way, which she certainly is, but also thoughtful and that she is full of thinking. She, uh, she doesn't accept the immediate answer. She looks for what lies behind the response, the promotion, indeed the propaganda if you will, and uh, she also has a deeply moral basis of thinking. Um, as she herself will say, of course, she is far from perfect. She is flawed. She's made decisions in her life that were not, in the end, perhaps the best ones. Although, whatever decisions both of us have made, the, the result has been being able to spend the last 10 years of our life together. And that has been an extraordinary experience, certainly for me. I think I can be bold enough to say 
Virginia too because you know we are together I think we're just greater than some of our parts and so we have helped each other uh, think and grow and develop and accept what life throws at us. Um, just now, you know, we've got Gina's eldest daughter home with us. She is expecting her first child, Gina's first grandchild, uh, towards the end of this month. So there's a great sense of uh, uh, anticipation and thrill and uh, perhaps a little trepidation as well of course all those feelings around the house and being Gina's daughter of course not a weekend with her, her feet up and she's got two assignments to complete for a, uh, a teaching course that she has uh, been doing over the past three weeks. Um, Gina's daughter and her husband intend to go to the Middle East at the end of this year in service of their, their faith um, and to help people in that region with their lives. So, I've got about half a mile to go, I think. Um, as I say, it's been just a very light and easy four miles today. I hope my breathing hasn't been too disruptive for this recording. Indeed, I shall listen back to it and determine whether it is worth uploading for you all to listen to. Um, I think I'm coming to the end of things I have to say today. So, as I, this last bit, interestingly, <laughs> isn't it bizarre? It's not bizarre. It's simply noteworthy that uh, this last half mile uh, is all downhill. <laughs> it's the one part of the run where I could probably speak to you in a less interrupted manner. <laughs> and now I think I've run out of things to say. Ah me. I'll tell you what then, just because I've got this few minutes to finish off quite easily. Let me uh, talk about the cinema this week when we went over to our theatre to watch The Jungle Book, the, uh, the new version. And we'd heard, we'd heard it was a good film. Um, like most people, we have very fond 
memories of the Disney cartoon version. Um, my particular fond memory of that was taking my own three children to see it in a cinema in Ayr in Scotland and uh, clearly this was a, a, a rerun of it, you know, they, they didn't see the original showings but this was when they were younger you know, I'm talking about sort of seven, five and three, that sort of age I think and uh, so at the time uh, I watched very little television and we had uh, a very small black and white portable TV uh, and uh, we sat in the cinema and uh, the kids were all there quite full of course and uh, the even the adverts had only just started showing and one of my children, I can't remember which one said very loudly oh look at the colours <laughs> and uh, it's quite soon after that that we thought you know what I think we should buy a colour television <laughs> anyway uh, yeah so fond memories of the original always a bit nervous with remakes and uh, this also of course had uh, had a human actor as Mowgli uh, an incredibly talented youngster, Neil Sethi and uh, the animals were filmed in um, was it motion capture I think was the technique that was used um, and the film started the sensor certificate came up to advise that it was a PG parental guidance uh, because of mild threat you know if that's mild threat I would hate to see very threatening Gina and I both found it really tense and, uh, and uh, dramatically very threatening um, which was brilliantly done uh, directed by John Favreau um, I think it was just an outstandingly good film and we really enjoyed it okay so back into the little call of the sack where we live um, and that's it you've accompanied me the whole way thank you very much for being alongside me today I've enjoyed talking to you I hope this um, this recording has something of value in it somewhere okay folks as always live love and run with joy oh hi Jeff good thank you I'm just recording if you think I'm talking to myself <laughs> oh, I got a little recorder so um I publish a podcast so I record it when I'm running <laughs> yeah uh, uh, only four miles just easy I've got to the stage now where I can't run very hard and talk anymore <laughs> it's gonna be very easy 
easy eyes. I went round Dower Ogcombe and then back around and up towards Hewish Park. That's just about four miles for me. How was your cycle ride in Wales? Did that go? Yeah, yeah. 